We will start tonight with a selection from the neutral stories. Sea Queen by Morfun. Come now, my faithless crew, stop your cords, there's things to do. A hefty monster guards the sea, a quest for loot sounds good to me. We set a course, we hoist the sails, bound for treasure we cannot fail. For if we do, I hate to say this beast might rule another day. Come now, we must be swift, we shan't be heard, so seal your lips. In the crack of dawn the sailors' blight burn the ships, this ends tonight. We grab our swords, we arm the cooks, in this chess we are the rooks. Then we see below the deck a graceful queen, prepare to check. Lunge now before it's late, don't wait to move, she doesn't wait. Tarry longer and you will see massive armies reduced to threes. She makes her move, our ranks then suffer, our fashioned fleet reduced to clutter. It is true, our hope is lost, she has her mana, our lines are crossed. I then sink deep down below. I cannot speak what has been shown. That day befell a tragedy. To hope one survives. Well, it was me. We continue with a selection from Ironclad. Project Phoenix by Mind the Tekkit. Today marked the 122nd day of the war between the Ironclad Union and the Winter Pact. The Union was trying to destroy a fortress where a majority of the dwarf and frostling troops were held. Dried blood stained the ground and a mix of rodent, dwarf, and frostling corpses strewn on the ground. The more bodies that fell, the angrier each side got fueling their desire to win this war. Amidst the battlefield was a giant dwarf, the biggest the rodents had ever seen. He wielded two giant hammers, and it seemed that he was the one fixing the fortress every time it was damaged. They knew they needed to take him down, but for each hit they got on him, it felt like he was magically restored to full strength once more, no doubt the work of the famed arcane arts that the Frostlings used. They were losing, and they knew it. Slowly but surely, they were being pushed back by smaller fortresses the dwarves were building, and the giant dwarf that just kept getting stronger and stronger as the battle went on. That day, Queen Mia ordered the Union's troops to retreat and called off the war. In her throne room, a conversation between Queen Mia and General Radicus was held. Forgive me, your majesty. They outnumbered us and we couldn't take down the legendary Ulf. Stand up, General. There is no need to kneel or to apologize, for we have won this war. Excuse me, your majesty. You see... The true purpose of this war was to extract the mana within the Frostling's corpses for my greatest invention yet. A construct that rebuilds itself each time it is destroyed. I call it the Prolonged Hero.
Our next selection comes from Winter Pact. The Coldest Days of Winter by Debnath. The cold night of the tundra is familiarly warm for the dwarves of the west, gathered among the hearth that their king built. That night they chant the songs of their forefathers, not about wars or the glory of the battle, but about the beauty of the white sheets that cover the forest, about the sun who shines golden behind monochromatic clouds on the summer, and about the tasty berries that flourish on spring. The old saying of the land states that the ice weather makes all its inhabitants notably friendly. No war was ever battled on that land to that point. Be it because the land is too dry to be farmed, or too cold for any other creatures survive in it, the snow only knew peaceful deaths. Only the elders were kissed back by the white under the snow. Until one day, one unknown rogue troop marched to the very place where dwarves sang happily with their king. The night sky whistled a deadly piercing breeze, much cooler than that of the woods. The moon was cloaked under arrows and suddenly a storm pierced through the Pacific camp. A tragic number of arrows fell vertically on many families of dwarves. For minutes the hellish whistle didn't stop. When it was finally over, King Ulf searched desperately through the many corpses of dwarves, impaled with hundreds times hundreds of arrows in the pitch-black night for any living, with no answer, just silence, darkness, and cold. He managed to find his twin hammers, which he had used to construct the hearth which was extinguished by the arrows. Silent, wounded, feeling guilty and bleeding, King Ulf managed to walk through many different domains of the tundra. He spoke to the religious prayers of the goddess in the highest mountains. The dwarves of the deepest caves testified the horror and cruelty that fell upon his beloved folks. Renounced his royal title in guilt for not being able to protect the lives of those who trusted him for guidance, vowed to use his twin hammers for both construction and destruction, and formed the Winter Pact. Never in history the world saw the people of Snow fight, and never a larger army have marched. Our next story comes from Shadowfen, Brood Mother Cordia by Zirkel. Long ago in our misty green swamps, the earth split open and released beasts of unknown power. Some of which being us. Well, that story has been told plenty of times, but here's one of our great green goddess. On one harsh summer day, a small outpost of toads was savagely attacked by mysterious creatures. One of the toads described them as vicious and green as the swamps. We ravens thought there was just a tribe of feral toads that needed to be converted into our great clan, but they were not. You see, they were actually ancient beasts who lay dormant beneath the world. We gathered the rest of the toads and marched into the swamp with our soul-trap puppets in hand. 
In the summer, the stagnant water would heat and evaporate into stinking vapor that choked the lungs of outsiders. It was why we thought they were toads in the first place. After about six hours, we found it, a great sanctuary filled to the brim with rubble, trees, and pulsating blue eggs, the likes of which didn't resemble any toad or raven eggs. They were at least four toads tall. Just as we approached, a thunderous crack interrupted our search for the culprits. It was the breaking of trees. As we looked up, we saw a great serpent rise from the brush. With a screech, the eggs broke and revealed more green serpents. The poor toads fought valiantly, even if it was fruitless. We tried our puppets to no avail. We were surrounded. We were at the mercy of the dragons. And with a sharp, raspy voice, the great dragon boomed. Who dares disturb my nest? It was I. Your dragons have attacked one of our outposts. My younglings shall go where they please. You waste your time and your lives by coming here. Wait, please, spare us. For what reason shall I allow you to continue your pathetic lives? Well, if you kill us now, our leaders will wonder what has happened. They will send more and more scouts until they find the truth. Then when they do, your nest will be destroyed. You will have nowhere to raise your young. Hmm. You pose a fair point. But I cannot let you live without some sort of repayment for destroying some of the eggs and disturbing my slumber. Hmm. I shall spare you if you are willing to talk to your leaders about my presence. Oh, and one thing. You have seen what happens to your pathetic outpost. If you fail... I will let my legions of dragons hunt you down. At that moment, hundreds of green serpents surrounded us. Their hungry eyes show no remorse. So we talked to our great priestess, Claxi, for some payment to the new dragon. Whilst the priestess loathed to show weakness, she could not afford another costly war. We devised a new solution. We would construct a new sacrificial totem near the nest. During the sacrifice, we would make sure that some toads got lost in the swamps. The dragons would eat the stray toads. After the sacrifices, we told the toads that the bodies would be taken to a great tomb built in the heart of the swamp. But it was not a tomb, it was a nest. And sometimes when the blood price was paid, she would appear on the battlefield and lay waste to all of our enemies. For if they were to defeat us, there would be less toads to be used as nourishment. We made a great alliance, and we had plenty of toads to spare. Our final story comes from Swarm of the East, Devastators, by Kep. A huge explosion, the structure trembles, but the flaming red meteor hits its target. Dark. Nothing. I wake up. My head hurts, everything's blurry. Is someone yelling? 
everything so dusty. What happened? All around me, others keep moving forward. There's sounds of fighting. The dusty battlefield trembles under the cacophony of explosions and clangs of iron against iron. Things start coming back. The deployment. The support from our heralds. The rush to the enemy's outpost. Then we see them. They have cannons. Huge, nasty towers that decimate anything that's unfortunate enough to cross their path. I was one of those unfortunate soldiers. No, they can't kill what's already dead. I'm still alive. I'm still here. They shot us point blank, and we were running desperately to it. Everyone else is dead but me. But me. Other ghouls rush beside me. They are just trying to get to the enemy's base. They can't help me. I'm alone. I finally stand up after those few seconds of confusion, and I look at it. I look at the stone walls and iron barrels that tower before me, thinking how many friends those cold objects they killed. Too many. But this ends now. I dash at the heavy steel doors, and I don't even try to open them. Instead, I jump from the handles to reach with my scythe to the top edge of the door frame, and I pull myself up with a swift movement. I don't have much time, but I know I can do this. Far away, a white figure sees the survivor. Their eyes open in terror. They yell orders to someone behind them. I'm still climbing the tower. I'd be faster if I wasn't alone and almost dead. There are many painless windows to grab onto, and the few times there's someone on the other side, their rodent head ends up rolling on the floor before they can even take out their little guns. I keep climbing and climbing, and then it's over. I'm at the top, finally, over the last row of round holes and standing on the rounded roof overlooking the whole battlefield. I see hordes of fawns being blown away by dynamite-wielding mice, only to be replaced by fellow undeads, scythe in hand, ready to vindicate the fallen. The white figure is now on the battlefield, small, holding its gown to walk faster. As it gets close to the artillery, the whirring inside gets louder and the cogs start spinning on its own. Suddenly the huge barrel starts moving and slowly it places itself directly looking at our base. I don't have time anymore. Someone must have survived and they are now going to shoot us. This cannot be happening. I have to destroy this now. As the metal starts glowing red hot, I focus and hold my scythe upright. I close my eyes. Remember what the queen taught you. The white mouse is close enough now. Remember the fallen, the ones that have to live again. It holds up its hand, crackles in its finger. Remember how they shattered the truce that held the kingdom together. The gunpowder is there. The bullet is waiting. Remember the pain of dying. Snap. Too late. 
As I'm raptured in my pain, I tap the back of the scythe on the roof of the structure. Suddenly the stones under my feet are crying for help. Suddenly the iron beams can feel my pain. Suddenly the foundations realize the weight they have been carrying all this time. The tower shudders in that instant in a mix of horror and bewilderment. In that instant it realizes it's alive. And just as it was alive, it dies because life was never meant to be forcefully infused in those old bricks. And as it dies, everything crumbles, everything runs from itself, in the fear of feeling again, in the fear of fearing, of feeling. All it's left is dust, dust that will always try to forget that instant, that moment, where it could realize where it was. And as the dust cloud settles, I am still standing there, my eyes now open in front of that damned white mouse and their damned magic fingers and their damned grin. It's all their fault, all of this. They will pay, they will. My tired feet get ready to dash and they bump something unusual in the sand. I look down and squint. It's a bottle filled with green liquid. As I pick it up, I wonder, how is it here? Chance? Magic? The gods? It doesn't matter now. Nothing matters. The mouse drops their smirk, watching me in horror as I down the liquid in one go. This ends with me, right here, right now. Now.